Okay, Bishop, let's go. Roger. Hello, hello. Welcome to the And Evil Podcast. This is Chris Jansen, and this is the And Evil Podcast. Evil is the destruction of freedom. The And Evil Podcast was dedicated to the book, The End of All Evil by Jeremy Locke. It's an excellent short book that will lead anybody down the path of um, just getting your getting yourself started on understanding the basics of natural law and freedom. What else could be more important than freedom? You know, it's the answer to every question, freedom. So um, before I go on too much longer, I'm really excited about this episode. Um, I'm, I bring in Brandon Martin back. And we're going to talk about aliens. And I think we might even talk about Alien too. some of the other alien movies. There's so much deep symbolism and um, esoteric um, truth in these movies that it's given us a good jumping off point to uh, talk about freedom and natural law and first principles and everything we like to talk about philosophy. Well, let's you kick it off here, Brandon. I'm going to go shut my door. I'll be right back. All right. Well, I've been looking forward to getting back on here and talking about this, uh, this amazing allegorical movie aliens. And like what Chris said, uh, we might get into a couple other things and definitely try to dabble in the, uh, the dark aspects of the programming and the social engineering that's going on within the Hollywood uh, narratives that are out there. But also, you know, I always like to cut through that and get down to the uh, down to the archetypal expressions and really understand, you know, what can we learn from this, even though that it is a uh, that there are programs being, you know, directed into our subconscious mind. Uh, how can we the first thing is learning how to defend yourself against that and then learning how to use these things to be able to enhance your consciousness and to see through uh, the illusions that the uh, that the elites and the social engineers and the controllers have, uh, you know, pulled over our eyes and programmed us with for, you know, thousands of years, obviously. So um, I also don't think that movies themselves are just all negative. So, you know, we have this idea that Hollywood is always just 100 percent negative. And I think that there's a mix between dark occultists and light occultists working within Hollywood. I don't think it's 100% controlled, uh, though it is massively controlled. Um, but there are, you know, obviously light workers uh, seated within these places that are trying to put out messages of truth as well. And it is true that, you know, maybe you're a light worker and eventually you, uh, you kind of get swept up into the flow of things being in Hollywood and becoming like a big time director, such as maybe like, uh, like James Cameron from this, the director of this film, uh, aliens, because he started out as a uh, model builder and then he got into movie directing, uh, later on. And, um, you know, you can't, we can't really know what his intentions were, but we can see like how easy it is to get swept up into that when you're trying to do giant creative endeavors that, get you affiliated with uh, all kinds of institutions that get you affiliated with the military, the CIA, you know, to get these movies done and where you have to compromise on certain things. Um, so, I mean, personally, I like to see like a high level of knowledge 
in this guy, like, and, you know, even mm -hmm. more as I watched since last we chatted and I'm looking more at, you know, like the things you brought up that I hadn't thought of before. Now I even saw a bunch more stuff and I'm like, wow, he, he's purposely putting in um, these same like little elements to this movie that are um, like foreshadowing and, and highlighting certain, um, certain analogous or um, metaphorical truths or, um, you know what, the thing that's been really coming to me is the transhumanism mm -hmm. agenda and, and the technotronic agenda, because um, the materialist agenda, um, especially, you know, thinking about Will Keller's um, discussion about animism, and you can see, you know, in these movies displayed this, maybe he's just foreseeing this, maybe he's preaching, it's hard to say where these, like you're saying, directors, you know, whether they're on the good side or the bad side of things, but we do know for sure that Hollywood has been long time inundated with um, with this dark cultists and where else are they going to, you know, sp sprout their agenda, but, you know, in front of the large percentage of the population. So, yeah, I sorry to interrupt you, but you got me excited. There. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad you said that. And it's very uh, well spoken there and well said. Um, yeah, I just. I think a lot of people stigmatize cinema too. And I think we need to be careful about that. It's just like people with the flat earth community where they attack NASA solely. So we always hear the attack on Hollywood, which is a big issue, obviously, but then it gets lumped in with cinema itself. And if you study cinema itself, which is something that I'm really into, the history is extremely rich and it's a lot more uh, diverse and there's a lot more nuances to it than it just being one control apparatus you know there's a lot more organic uh creativity when you look at the history and there's a really good documentary that i've been watching that my uncle um turned me on to um i think it's called um um a film story or uh a film story story the odyssey i think that's what it's called uh, i'm pretty sure that's what it's called it's it's something story i'm pretty sure it's uh maybe it's a cinema story the odyssey but it's really really good and um, it, it just shows how how cinema has evolved in such a unique way across the world. And it goes from the Japanese evolution of cinema and how they dominated the markets into the Western Hollywood stuff where they started to take from the East. And then Japanese, like all their cinema fell off the off the uh, top boards and everything. And then next thing you know, we have like this huge conglomerate of Hollywood and that's the like dominant, you know, cinematography out there, you know, where we don't really see any kind of like alternative foreign movies anymore, unless it's underground, like German movies, Russian movies, Japanese movies, you know, and none of these movies do we see very much. It's all American Hollywood movies. And it doesn't mean that there aren't control systems over there either. It's just that we just happen to be the masters of those programs over here you know we've dominated the world and the market with that i should say but yeah uh with the transhuman agenda i actually wanted to talk about that because um uh, james hey, cameron let, oh go ahead go ahead show, yeah let me show a little something first because it's something i just pulled out right before the show and um i think we're probably going to get into it anyway and i noticed a particular detail that exists both in alien one and in alien two and um I'm just going to play a quick little clip and then I want you to go go ahead with what you're saying. All right, let me see if Alrighty. I can get this full screen here. We talked about it a little bit last time, um, the opening scene. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, this was actually not the one I had intended to show, but mm -hmm. oh yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, this, this is, is a good one. Kind of like um, when the Marines first awake, awaken. Yeah. On, um, mm -hmm. The second Aliens movie. See right here how you see that, you know, they're showing the missiles and then look at that machine that Ripley gets in later sitting there with no person in it. And right. this is the part that really tripped me out. Look at that thing. That's a perpetual motion. Right, right. Okay, and what what you got going on here is the same thing they showed in the beginning of Aliens 1. The ship's all bare and blank. Right. And the only thing running things is the computer, right? Yep. And, and then it's the perpetual, cold. those little perpetual, in the first one, it was the little bird that goes forward and backward into a cup. Yep. And in this one, it's that little spinning thing. And, and those are a really important symbol that I didn't catch until this time around. Yeah, that's what, very well said. What it shows is that it's showing that the humans are being controlled by the robots. Like the robot wakes up the humans, mm -hmm. right? Here it starts printing out all their names. They're practically in a sleep. They might as well be dead. The machine is running the humans, not, not the other way around. And, and the perpetual motion machine is kind of like symbolizing this thing of, you know, this desire to go away from humanity and the creative impulse and, and to move to this mechanical sort of um, solution, right? And I, I don't know, that really tripped me out. And I just wanted to jump into because what you were saying is, you know, um, there's two sides to the story, right? Like there are a lot of good things about technology, but but the scary thing is, you know, like like in the Terminator movies when technology mm -hmm. owns us or the Matrix, right. where you know we're in these boxes and and you know we're the servants. Uh, the thing is that, like you were saying, cinema is a good thing because it's connected to art, and art comes from our generative force, the part of us that is growing, and that's kind of how I describe good versus evil. Good is growing. Good is Mm -hmm. generating right evil is taken away from that force and so what right. do you see here is this juxtaposition between the cold dead frozen walls of the computers which don't have soul or humanity and yet it's raising us you know out of the dead right it's trippy okay so yeah i talked a lot I'm gonna no, no that was good <laughs> that was really really good i'm glad you brought that up it's uh it's dead on and it's exactly what should we should be talking about you know it's the idea of when does um our creations surpass us and they start to dominate us you know and how far are we willing to take that obviously and how far are we willing to allow technology to run our lives because at some level you could really i mean we already kind of are there which is a dystopian you know technocratic world where we're just kind of like in a cyberpunk uh you know tyranny where where we're just completely ruled and controlled by mechanics and and coldness but yeah the, we talked about the 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 expression there the cinema expression of like what he's trying to show is that, you know, not only space, it looks, it's cold, it's absence of, you know, uh, life and things like this, even though to me, I think of all planets as living things and all stars as living things. But when we see space, it's kind of like this empty, vast, cold, you know, um, just, you know, void, obviously. And that void can symbolize the absence of humanity, the absence of growth, just metaphorically. It doesn't mean it's actually that, but it just means that um, we associate that subconsciously to it. Um, so he does a really good job with the, the, the camera angles and the camera expressions to show that. And this is the interesting thing you brought up Terminator. This is actually what I wanted to say is that he was working on Terminator before this movie, James Cameron was. 
And then he got into this movie and all the, all the, um, the people working on the movie with him were aliens with James Cameron. They actually didn't like James Cameron. And so he sat them down and was like, Hey, let's watch Terminator. This is the first movie. Terminator was his first movie that he actually made. And, uh, this is, uh, he worked on other movies, but this, that was his first, you know, huge director position where he made that movie. And, uh, and he sat down and ha tried to have everybody watch the Terminator and he's in Europe and it's like completely different over there with the way that the, 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 uh, cinema is filmed over there and they weren't liking his American style or whatever. And, uh, and nobody came to watch it to, to actually, you know, see that, but it's interesting because if you watch James Cameron's career, this is what I wanted to point out. He goes from this extreme mechanical materialistic warnings of any, and it still is that when he gets to the end of his career or his current career, but, uh, it's just like watch like the Terminator, then aliens, and then you move through like Titanic. And then the next one, you could look at Avatar, right? And as you move through this, he's going more into nature. He's going away from the mechanical, and then he's moving more in his uh, directorial style into nature. But the weird thing about Avatar is that it's all done through cinematography. There's like no scenes in it that are actually natural. They're all artificial. CGI, right, yeah, yeah, they're all CGI. And it's like, you know, what's going on here? It's kind of interesting. So he has some kind of weird psychology going on with that, whether that's a, intentional or not. But we do see it in the movie, too, because when Ripley wakes up in this movie, she goes to that room and there's like artificial nature in that room. Right. She sits down and, and I think it's in the uh, the director's cut or the extended version. And she sits down and she's talking about her daughter and, and looking at uh, the pad about her daughter, uh, Amanda Ripley. And she sits down in this room and it's kind of like a recreational lounge or something. And then there's like nature in the background, but it's just projections on the spaceship. Because when you're on a spaceship, you're not going to get much nature there. I mean, you can have plants growing inside of it, but they don't even have that really. You know, it's just all artificial images. So it's really interesting to see that you know yeah and he's always kind of making this comparison all throughout mm -hmm. and i don't know that really intrigued me this time because really that is a lot of the battle that we're facing because when you think about it for these um people who are trying to control the world basically these dark occultists they have to have you know billions of people under their control and they're only mm -hmm. 0.0001% of the population or smaller right how do they do that? Well, the only realistic way they can do that without all out force, because they don't have enough people, is to control us, you know, mechanically. And that's what's right. happening, you know, with the phones, with boxing us all off and fragmenting us from each other, separating us from our soul in so many ways by, you know, getting us distracted by these screens. It, you know, that's how that's their method of doing that, of getting us into these you know, think about this, too. This movie is starting to show you the progression, even, of how they get us into the Matrix, right? You get used to getting in these tubes where you get frozen, right? And they're even convincing people now that you can get a ship to, to uh, another planet, right? And we're not even, right. you know, most of us can't even really prove that another planet exists in the way that we've been told, you know? Right. It's like stuff we're making assumptions about. And they're yet convincing people that, oh, yeah, we're going to you know, if you pay us a billion dollars right now, we're going to put you in a ship and send you to Mars or whatever. Wow. Yeah, you, you may know, never so you do that or you put on the 3D glasses and the 3D face thing. Yep. You're in the tube, man. 
All they yep. got to do now is turn you turn you off. Put you in a laboratory. They'll just keep you here, put you in a laboratory, and then hook you up to a big quantum computer or whatever, you know. Right. And uh, they'll make you think that you're actually going to space, obviously. But uh, yeah, he does say it. He says it directly. And he what he what else he brings to the table is he brings really good war allegories, right? Like this whole movie is about war, you know. His his subtitle for this movie is "It's War" in the um, in the previews, you know, when they first right, released right. it, it's war, you know. And his whole thing was that he was trying to make Alien, and Alien's a really good psychological thriller, you know. I think it's one of the best psychological thrillers out there, and I'd love to really dig into that because it's even deeper in the symbolism of the archetypes than this one is. This one's really action-based. This one's really about the war and the the confrontation of, you know, like I said before, like trauma and the confrontation of the inner self. And this is what I wanted to bring up. I want to bring up a little bit of esoteric knowledge here about these movies is that you can look at it this way. The first movie is the the uh, entered apprentice of Freemasonry. The second movie is the fellow craft. And then the third movie is the master mason. And it's very interesting because this movie is all about facing your inner demons, the evil within. So it's about getting into the hive. It's going into the temple, but it's the dark temple. And you have to go within to conquer the dark care, which is represented by the queen at the end. The the dark care that perverts us from within, you know, this, this kind of parasitical um, uh, beast, this evil within all of us that has, you know, led us to moral relativism so it's the dark mother aspect archetypally and it has to be conquered by the authentic female who's ripley you know who's uh, commander ripley and she uh well she's not a commander but you know she's the authentic mother figure in this who takes up the sacred feminine principle and she she's true in charge in alien right? right right yeah she was the second in charge in alien yep um so I think that's really important to understand. And and in this movie, we also see the three degrees as well, because we start off where we where we uh, where we end up where we started out at. So what I mean is it's like an Ouroboros. So they start out on this ship, the Sulaco, right? And and then they end up back in space, you know, in these tubes at the end. They end up back in the cryogenic chambers. And that cryogenic chamber can represent the coffin of Hiram Habif in Freemasonry, the third degree of, of Freemasonry, which is about resurrection and sleep. So we see this motif in a lot of movies where we have the, uh, the being awakening out of sleep, right? Like Neo awakening out of his slumber or Alice, you know, awakening out of his slumber. We see this all over the place. So it's the same thing, you know, and then she represents obviously Snow White. She's even called Snow White in in the film by uh, Vasquez. So that's a really big understanding that um, she she's supposed to be like this fragile, you know, thing. And then what really happens is, is uh, <laughs> oh, she, sorry. Uh, no, you're good. You're good. I was like, this I know is, that sound. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to show this because you're you're like hitting right on it right now. But I want I was hoping to just bring it up like carefully but i'm just so shitty at running oh stream. it's okay you're doing better than i would with it right <laughs> now. all this stuff but there's okay here's the awakening scene right 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 i want to make it to where i can see you here too but it just doesn't want to do it for me get oh, you all on. right and then 
I'll get to. Oh well. Nice yeah, it's try. all right. <laughs> yeah, she's waking up out of the coffin, and where does where does Snow White end up? You know, or Sleeping Beauty, right? She's the Sleeping Beauty, you know, and and Sleeping Beauty ends up in the coffin and has to be woken up, and uh, and this is kind of what's going on here is that she's um, coming out of that slumber, out of that um, you know unconscious realm into the conscious world, and then she has to face the reality of the evil. But what we can really look at this as is our internal aspects. You know, these are all archetypal images of ourselves. Each, each you know, character here represents a, a person or a personality of ourselves, you know, or an aspect of our personality, our collective personality. So um, I think that's really important to really, you know, comprehend all that. And I have some notes here on that. I wanted to bring up one more thing about the Salako, which I think is really, really important. Um, a lot of people will not know this, but uh, the the ship is the Salako uh, Nostromos, and it's actually from an old book, and that book was a tale of the uh, seaboard, which is a 1904 novel by Joseph Conrad. Now, Joseph Conrad has written a lot of books like The Heart of Darkness, which is a must-read if you have not read it, which inspired films like Apocalypse Now. And, you know, it's set in like South Africa and the Sulaco and in like in this book, uh, the Nostromo and the Sulaco are represented as the same thing, just as, you know, different stories and different motifs. So in the essence, they it's about this nefarious business entity. Right. And we have this huge anti-corporate theme that's going on in this movie because we have Whalen yutani who's the the corporation, this uh, pinnacle of crony capitalism that's running all of this stuff. And you have the character Burke who's coming in to, um, to you know, work for the company and he's called the company man, you know, and we have this idea of the company man who's always out there, who's trying to swindle everything and trying to make his way to the top through the social Darwinian, uh, you know, hierarchy. And, the, and what happens is, is that he ends up trying to impregnate Newt and Ripley in this film, uh, you know, subversively and covertly um, with the facehuggers, obviously, to sneak back this evil back into the place, into the corporation, for the corporation, so they can make bioweapons. And this actually happens in our, in our real life all the time, you know. This is what really happens, and this is how seeds of evil get planted everywhere, you know. Um, is through that kind of mindset. He is the, see, the thing about Burke is that he actually is more evil than the alien. And that's what James Cameron's trying to show you is that the human being who is willing to do that, who's willing to abandon his moral compass, is actually more devastating than the alien itself, you know? And I really appreciated the scene where he gets, uh, he gets, uh, eaten, you know, killed by the alien because it's the evil that eats the evil. You know, it's one, it's the most ruthless predator coming after another predator, right? And it's that social Darwinian thing going on where who's ever the most ruthless is going to survive. And he's actually a big coward, so you see that, but he's he's actually more evil than the creature itself because the creature itself is just going off of its instincts. That's just what it's supposed to do. You know, it's just trying to breed and reproduce. If you look at it just like some other creature in, in the animal kingdom, it's just doing what it naturally does, you know. 
not like esoterically, just exoterically. But him, he's not doing what he's naturally supposed to be doing. He's naturally supposed to be a moral being, obviously, you know? So he's actually more evil than the, the creature itself exoterically. So I really enjoyed that whole thing about that. <laughs> you, know, you know, I wanted to, um, last time when we were talking, one of the most important scenes, I think, in the Aliens movie is, um, and, I, and I wasn't able to get this clip, but the scene where um, Ripley lays down with Newt and mm, they're laying yes. down in the bed and she sleeps in that chamber with them. And that's when Burke um, seals them in there with a couple of the face huggers to impregnate them. You know, yep. he's got this secret plan to bring them back, you know, and when everybody realizes that, you know, they're ready, you know, I, I forgot if it was Hudson or Hicks, they're ready to just kill him. And they're like, yeah, hey, with this guy, let's take him out. You know? Yeah. They're ready. Like you're saying, he's worse than the aliens because, you know, they're just trying to survive and do their thing. But he actually, you know, thought that out premeditated. Oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, actually put these face huggers on these people so i can freeze them bring them back home so my military can use them i can get paid and my military can use them as a weapon against other people i mean that is really sinister and yeah. it's the same thing that happens in alien one movie when um ripley gets into it with um she doesn't realize that he's a synthetic human at first mm -hmm. the science officer i'm blanking on his name right now but um and he tries to basically rape her by sticking this um you know he could have just killed her he's got his hands he's super strong but instead he tries to stick this newspaper into yep. her mouth which is like a rape scene and, and it's kind of the same thing in the scene with with um ripley and newt in this room and here comes this this evil thing that's gonna basically try to rape them it's yep. just like can you imagine what people go through who have been abused sexually and that's one of the main ways that these evildoers have propagated their evil on the world is by raping people, both yep. physically, spiritually, and mentally. But their their physical rape of people is part of their mind control technique. It's part of their way of keeping their criminal cabal in place. It's one of the poisons they use to keep people in a state of trauma. And I've seen it over and over. People don't realize how many young people are raped, even ritually raped. And, yes. and this movie is kind of pointing a hint at that. Like, I think he knew about it. You know, I think he's definitely kind of letting you know there. He's showing a scene of this woman trying to protect her daughter. And she she kind of can't because this evil that's coming is so scary. There's very little they can do it. They're almost defenseless. Right. And it turns out it's Burke, who's the symbol of these plotting, planning people that aren't just doing it for pleasure. They're doing it for for even worse purposes, even worse than the aliens, like you're saying. So the Absolutely. evil is inside. And then it propagates. And just like that, people that have been raped or that have been sexually molested, they tend to do it to the next generation of people. It, it tends to be a cyclical thing where it happens over and over. And it's just like the alien getting inside of you, coming out, and then you sick it on the next person. That's right. You nailed that. Yeah, I love that scene. You know, And, and the other thing about that scene is that she has to ask for help from the sacred masculine principles in that scene to actually save the child, you know, um, because first she sees the gun, which Burke takes out of the room, and then she has to light the the lighter and set off the fire alarm, um, you know, and water can symbolize the feminine energy, obviously, but it's mainly about setting the alert. And then, you know, the, the Marines come in and, um, 
and Hicks is the one who saves her, obviously. And then Hudson saves the other, the, the, the daughter or the young girl, Newt, obviously. But there's something else I have notes here from my essay about that scene as well. And one of the things I really liked about that scene is that Newt, um, it's right around this time, but when they're laying together uh, and, and Ripley goes to put Newt uh, to sleep, she has a little baby doll in her hand, hand, right? She has this little baby doll head in her hand. And um, Newt is like, you know, questioning, like she's going to have nightmares because of all this, right? She asks her about the nightmares. And then Ripley is like, well, look, does uh, whatever, they, she said some name like Susie or something like that. Does Susie have nightmares? Let's look in here. And she looks inside the baby doll, this plastic baby doll. And she's like, nope, there's nothing in there. And then Newt's just like, well, of course, she doesn't have dreams. She's made of plastic, right? And she just calls her out on it, like, full on. And and the cool thing about Ripley, she's like, yep, she's just humble about it. Like, yep, you're right. I was trying to comfort you with a, you know, a white lie. And, you know, obviously that's not going to work with you. So it's this idea of how we try to comfort children with white lies. But I think it's also interesting because it ties into the the artifice of things as well. because you know, that it represents the human that's empty. The doll represents just an empty shell, you know? And she's like, I'm not an empty shell, you know? I'm, a, I'm an actual living being that is dealing with trauma here, you know? And I have right. to have and the that, truth. That, that same <laughs> symbol shows up too, like um, in the beginning of the films, both of the beginning of the films do this, where mm -hmm. I was talking about they pan around the cold, icy room, right. and, and it ends up on this helmet that's sitting yep. there. And it's got this emergency thing and you can see the letters printing out, which strangely enough, go from blue to red, depending on the moment, which it shows, which I think is also significant. But the empty, empty helmet is like you think it's going to be a person or a creature or something because, you know, this is a scary movie. But it's like symbolizing this shell that where where the humanity is not there. And then they're always coming forward. Like I talked last time about when the business people were questioning Ripley, like you blew up this machine that was worth, you know, our spaceship was worth all these billions of dollars. And they're not that concerned with, I said 12, but it was seven crew members. You know, they don't care that much about those. Well, the same mm -hmm. thing happens in the beginning of aliens. When the, um, the guys find her, she's been floating in space for, I forgot what, 57 years, 57 right? years. Yeah. I think probably a significant number too. It and, is. It's 12. They, it's, it's solar. Five so and it's seven, 12. 12, right? Yeah. Solar, right. So then, they come in with that phallic little device, yeah. Right, like you talked about, it totally looks penis, and I actually have that clip yep. we could look at. And then the guy comes in finally, and they realize this that she's alive, and she the vital signs are good, and they're like, "Oh, so much for our salvage." Right, Again, right, right. It's this same juxtaposition of human life being less important than money, yeah. Human life being Nailed less it. important than the future of this weapon or this tool that they're trying to um, get a hold of. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of what James Cameron points out the entire, uh, like his entire career. Because if you look at Avatar too, I mean, that's the whole idea of Avatar is like that life is less important than, than um, you know, uh, terraforming and, and um, materialistic conquest, you know. So I think he really does have a good understanding of this. And he really is trying to put a message out with that. Um, to, to either try to program us so that we don't fight against it because we know if we see it constantly like this, then we we just accept it in our own world as normal, 
if we continue to see this, you know, repetitively over and over and over and over, then it just becomes a normal thing to us. Uh, or he's intentionally trying to like warn us about these things. Um, so it's a, it's a difficult thing. One other thing I'd like to bring up too is that I really we were talking about the military aspects because there's a lot of military stuff and this this movie. The reason why I liked it a lot when I was a kid was because of the action in it. You know, the first movie scared the shit out of me. You know, I was terrified of the first movie, but this movie I wasn't as scared because I felt more empowered. You know, and and I think I, I felt less uh, vulnerable with this movie because Ripley represents such a strong masculine mother figure. You know, and yet this scene here, this is really good. Uh, the first ship represents the phallic, and then you have the uh, the space helmet like you're talking about, and uh, you know you got the the computer scenes that come on and the computer uh, data that comes onto it. And it also looks like the universe as well. You know, it represents, it can represent the womb or the universe. So there's, there's archetypal symbols there. So we can look at it from a, a point of view of like, you know, what are they intentionally putting there to program us with? Or we can look at it archetypally, like what else can we pull out of that as well? So, and then, yeah, this is the, the circle ship like above it, the, the feminine. Talking. Right. Yep, the docking and the sacred feminine and sacred masculine coming together, you know, and you'll find that throughout this entire film. Um, but one thing I wanted to mention was the the military gear that they bring in, right? The smart gun. We have the first smart gun, uh, which is like Vasquez has this giant gun where they use this camera harness actually to mount a, a real M60 on them. And, and they had trouble using this gun. Um, but they were, uh, they were real guns and, but there was supposed to be a smart gun because they lock, you know, they have these, uh, wireless technology with them and you can't use them at certain, certain phases. So they automatically lock or unlock and things like this. So they actually called them smart guns. So that's, you know, that's some foreshadowing for future smart guns, obviously that we are coming, uh, into contact with right now. And then another thing about the military stuff, I think this is really important symbolism. Now, it wasn't exactly intentionally done, but it was it was done under the idea of the Vietnam War and what the soldiers did in the Vietnam War, which is that James Cameron came into the actors one day and, and they were all getting dressed with their armors. And he said, okay, now I want all you guys to personalize your armor. And everybody's like, what? You know, what do you mean? And he's like, personalize your armor, put your own character on your armor, you know, put your own art on your armor or whatever. And what that represents is the Vietnam War when all the soldiers were personalizing all the mil military gear where you see them writing profanity on the planes and on the bombs that they're dropping on the Vietnamese and, 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 you know, and all this stuff. Right. And, uh, obviously you'll get court-martialed for doing that now, but in, in, you know, in Vietnam, that was a big thing. If you look at all the films, you talk to any of the soldiers and stuff. And what happens is if you look at some of the uh, the personalized gear, the one I want to focus on, uh, some of them are really profound. But uh, the one I really want to focus on is on Commander Hicks. And it's the, the heart with the lock on it, right? It's a heart. Well, it's a heart with the lock over top of it. I don't know if you have that uh, saved for you, but... I did manage to find, you know, you were talking about the, the guns. Yeah, there's the smart gun with the camera yeah. harness, you yeah. know. And and I can say one more thing about Vasquez here is that she actually is an inspiration to Ripley throughout this because she represents that masculine, you know, uh, dominant energy. 
and she in makes the fun of Ripley. She's doing the yep. pull-ups right yep. when they get she's out doing of the, the thing. Pull-up. And, uh, yep. Ripley walks by and she's like, yeah, yep. you're talking about being a male or female. And, yep. and um, Drake is kind of joking with her. Yeah, it's too bad you're, you are female, you know? And she's like, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I can't remember exactly you, how she you ever, uh, you ever get confused for being a man is what right. Right, right. Hicks says or somebody says to him. But, uh, she's like, no, have you? <laughs> and it's like some transgender so stuff. What you're talking about some of the uh writing on there mm-hmm. yeah but you're right <laughs> no have you <laughs> yeah 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 it's so funny hudson that's the one who said it but yeah the the lock with the heart and it's really important because at the end of the movie uh what happens is that ripley has to rip off the the armor that hicks has and she has to unlock right he gets burned by the by the acid in the elevator and so he has, she has to rip off the armor to save him. And what that means is that he, at that point, they're actually unifying alchemically because she's unlocking his heart. His heart, his heart has been locked away. That's what that represents. You know, his care has been locked away. And then she unlocks that for him, you know. And then he also loses an eye, too, with the acid. So he goes to one eye. So he has the one eye, you know, symbolism going on at that point, which I thought was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, he, Michael Bean actually wasn't the character. He, he's the actor. He wasn't the first uh, guy who was supposed to play that. Um, um, I can't remember the actor who originally was supposed, supposed to play it, but he had some uh, drug addiction. I know that. So he couldn't actually play the character. And some of the scenes are actually recorded with him, uh, who was a different actor. And Michael Bean comes from uh, Terminator. He was, uh, uh, the main character in Terminator, the main protagonist. I can't remember his name now. Oh, Do you, oh, oh. Yeah, he's the same actor. Um, I'm no good with actor names, but I, I know. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> Reese. Reese, that's his name. Uh, Michael Bean played Reese in Terminator 1. So, and I like what Fred said here, uh, xenomorphs, xenophobia. I've thought about that as, as well. Um, and that's definitely kind of what I talked about last time, which is like, uh, you you do have that kind of correlation between nah, the, the aliens and you know other ethnicities, okay? Because the whole idea of the military, the Marines coming in, having superior firepower is just like Vietnam, you know, going in and they have superior firepower against the the Vietnamese, and yet the Vietnamese struggled so hard against them, right? And and they did crazy guerrilla warfare. So it's like the military thinks that they have it all under control. And then when it comes down to it, they really don't. And then who actually comes in and saves the day is Ripley, uh, an independent individual, you know, the person who doesn't have military training. And what does she do? She has ingenuity. She takes a freaking pulse rifle, straps it to a freaking, you know, uh, a flamethrower and goes down and faces the queen. And that's all about Rubedo and alchemy because it's all about, the burning, you know, because Rubedo means the red and it's the final phase. So when she goes to face the queen down in the hive and she burns all the eggs and, you know, shoots the grenades into the into the queen's uh, sacks and stuff, it's all Rubedo because it's her uh, coming out of the phoenix. It's the phoenix fire, you know, and she rises up out of this layer like a phoenix out of the fire. And then there's this nuclear explosion from the fusion reactor. And that's another military thing that they bring in, which is the nuclear threat. So he just layers this, you know. Well, he not only that, but from the beginning, the whole idea is this planet they're going to, LB2, 
46, is it? Yeah. Was um, intended to be, um, what do they call it? They're, they're trying to create terraforming. Terraforming. Right. There you go. My brain blanked yeah. out right there. But, I mean, that's like kind of one of the most wild imagination mm -hmm. things of, of the sci fi and the technological mind is that um, our Earth gets so screwed up or we, it's uninhabitable or there's so many people that now we have to go to another planet and we have to learn how to inhabit these other planets, which involves turning it with technology from a rock into something that has life in it, which again, right. this is the same comparison, which is like, it's showing you the wrong way to connect with nature, you know, that you Absolutely. need to fly through empty space all by yourself, frozen like a dead body to start a new life on a distant planet where we have nature and life right here. You know, like you were saying, right. fake, you're always showing the fakeness versus the realness. Right, right. Well, it got me thinking actually, um, is that it always leads to suffering, right? It's always leading to suffering. This whole movie is about suffering, you know? All of them are. And we're and and it's kind of like you've went too far into controlling these things to the to the extent that they now control you. You know, now they're controlling you and you're just in complete suffering from it. You know, you're completely locked down. You get woken up by a computer and and then you go and fight this crazy alien being that, you know. <laughs> can probably rip you in half in, you know the, in a second, um, so <laughs> hudson i think I, I when i was watching clips and preparing for this discussion i kept coming up with all these great clips from hudson you know he's kind of he's one great. of my favorite characters but you know when you think about what he's symbolizing is like you know just sort of like the average person that gets duped by all this stuff right, right? like yeah he, he has a pretty pure heart you know through most of it he's trying to be like here's this little clip of him in the beginning where he's just like you're saying, he's talking about the guns and everything, right? And he's giving this they little speech to everybody, Don't right? Don't worry. Me and my squad of ultimate badasses will protect you. Yep. Yep. Check it he, out. He has skull and bone Independently targeted particle beam failings. What? I was talking about. I have a city with this puppy. We got tactical smart missiles, base plasma pulse rifles, RPGs, we got sonic electronic ball breakers. We got nukes, we got knives, sharks. <laughs> yeah. It's just perfect because here he's check it say, out. Oh, you know, yeah, he's we're so he's tough. Great. We got all these weapons. You know, yep. and it's just like the people we talk to are like, oh, we could solve all these problems with technology or we could solve these problems. We just need to vote. Right. You know, it's yep. like the whole idea. And I've been trying to point this out, too, is like even the idea of writing down laws is kind of going against nature in a lot of ways, because natural law is something that's inherent. It's the natural growth process and everything needs to be decided and discovered on its own merit. Each situation is different because we're living beings and then when people try to codify things into these laws it's like turning into this mechanical function like you could write this thing on paper and it's going to apply to every situation which right. is a slap in the face to nature it's the same idea of saying oh we're going to go there with all these guns and we'll just take over whatever planet it is we don't and he doesn't even know what he has to deal with yet and he's so overconfident and that's the way people are with these governmental structures we have and these educational structures and these medical structures where they're just so convinced. Oh, yeah, we got doctors. We got lawyers. We got courts. We got laws. We don't need we don't need to have a conscience. You know, that's right. really ultimately yeah. what it's saying. We don't need to think for ourselves and connect within our own heart to our creation um, aspect of ourselves. We can just 
you know, survive on all this technology, you know? And that's yep. the thing that's screwing us up, you know? It's really interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I I, I agree with you. And uh, Hudson there, he's one of my favorite characters, actually, because he's just so funny. And he's just the, the arrogant, you know, bravado that he has going on. And it does epitomize, like, what James is trying to satire about the military. He's trying to say, like, hey, look, the military, they're idiots. You know, these Marines, they're actually idiots. They don't know what the fuck they're doing, just like with Gorman, you know. Gorman is a great representation of that inauthentic, you know, masculine figure, though he has a good redemption arc, you know, because he ends up redeeming himself afterwards by sacrificing himself with uh, Vasquez in, in the, uh, in the uh, ventilation to save, you know, Newt and, and Hicks and, and the rest of the crew, you know, and he goes back for Vasquez is what he does. And then they set off the grenade to block off the, uh, the aliens coming in. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting concept, and I mean the transhumanism agenda is a is a big issue that they that we fundamentally and philosophically are going to have to deal with because, you know, like for me, yes, uh, the the idea of what I would consider to, to be the control of the higher mysteries, and what I mean the higher mysteries is that it's the idea of controlling the materialistic plane, the elemental powers of of materialism, which creates these technologies, you know. And until we get principles first, until we get principles, you know, under our belt, until we understand morality, objective morality, uh, you know, correctly, then all these things are just going to be used in perversion. You know, they're just going to be used for the uh, slave system itself. So I don't think technology is ever going to go away. I think it's always going to be around. I think we have a natural instinctive thing to create, to be, uh, you know, to we have ingenuity at such a level that will always be creating new things so yeah gorman <laughs> he's such a coward in this scene you know and she just comes in and she just shows him you know she's she has no military training she just takes over immediately and um and this is when you really see uh ripley like actually step up and confront her trauma a bit because then she takes over the uh the uh tank thing and drives in there to rescue the people while he's in shock, while he's in fear. See, she's acting out of love, and he's acting out of fear. Is how I would put that. And yeah, like uh, they show they they really purposely show. Look, look, his eyes are darting around. He's sweating. He's he's like repeating himself. Uh, I told you guys to lay down a fire and and retreat by the numbers. And yeah, and, yeah, yeah, know, like a robot. He know he's what to do. Like a he's robot frozen, too. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's frozen, and he's just acting like a computer. You know, like, follow this order, follow this order, you know? So, and, and of course, that's not how it goes in war, you know? War, that's not how it goes. Obviously, it's not how it goes anywhere. So this movie can be looked at as the war on consciousness, too, you know, because we can, like I said, we can look at it as a mind. The whole movie is just a mind. And then everything in here is just the war taking place within the mind itself and the struggle between the aspects that are, positive that are trying to stimulate evolution compared to the aspects that are trying to uh destroy and and you know create that entropy right the devolution of ourselves so uh you can look at it all as, as all the programs that we've been programmed with um like i was talking about earlier yeah this movie is so good you know there's just no doubt about it and I mean, I highly recommend people to study film once they're ready for it, you know, because you'll find so much stuff in film once you really 
can handle it. You know, you need to be able to handle it though. Uh, you don't want to just start, you know, chronically watching movies all day long, every single day, obviously. But if you're into mythology, the hero myths, if you're into archetypal psychology and stuff like that, you can get a lot from it. And the cinema itself is, uh, is one of our highest forms of communication besides the natural forms, which are like maybe telepathy or, you know, empathy and things like this. There's other forms of communication that we have naturally, but cinema is the natural, the highest form of technological communication that we have because it incorporates sound, you know, color, sight, you know, everything. Like all the senses at once. Yeah, almost all the and senses you know, at once. What yeah. occurred, one thing that occurred to me psychologically is, you know, throughout my life, you know, I remember watching Aliens when I was a pretty young boy, and I was pretty excited about all those weapons, right? And there were a lot of other movies, like I was really into G.I. Joe, you know, cartoons and and the um, and the um, mm -hmm. comic books as well. And right. it got me excited about this whole idea of military, like you're saying, they kept introducing yep. it as like the heroic people were always like military guys. And so like I was almost duped by it. Like I was kind of starting to think, yeah, maybe I should go to the Air Force, you know? And it wasn't until my sister sat me aside and started explaining to me like about pacifism, you know, which I don't really like that ideology completely now, but lucky she did because it talked me completely out of the idea of military. I started really thinking about what she was saying. Like, yeah, we don't want to sign up to go hurt people. That That's crazy, you know? And and so the, it does stick with you, you know, and, and I think you're right. Like these, most people don't realize most of these movies do have like FBI or a CIA, some kind mm -hmm. of military consultant that makes certain decisions. You know, they say, oh, okay, we'll let you use some of these props and we'll let yep. you, you know, and some of the things we know about our military, but here's the tray. We get to, we get to make certain edits or decisions about your movie. So, I mean, that, that stuff really does get in there, you know, and, um, the other scene I kind of wanted to bring up that I thought was a big deal was um, what I call the drop scene. Mm, yeah, you that's know? a good one. Um, it, um, did I bring up the right one here? Where? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there, here it is. They're getting ready to go. Here, I'll play the. I'll even play the um, sound because this this part. Picking up some lionization. I don't know. It really sticks out to me symbolically. Rub the We're in for some chop. Right, right. <laughs> How many drops is this for you, Lieutenant? Yeah, it's way more calm and collected than he is. Simulated. How many combat drops? Uh, two. Including this one. <laughs> yeah, that, that breeds some trust for you. Right? Even Burke. <laughs> right. Hey, he's just sleeping. I got a bad feeling about this drop. You always <laughs> say that. You got a bad feeling. Right, about right. This drop. I want to mention but, something here uh, before we continue. Um, Jonathan over here mentioned uh, Rob Ager's site. And actually, I've, I've watched and I've bought every single uh, film from uh, Rob Ager. And that's a collaborative learning, um, the, the site. And he does a really great breakdown of all this stuff. Actually, a lot of the things that I've learned about aliens was 
was uh, from his work. And he's a, an amazing, amazing person who breaks down films and cinema and even video games, actually, as well. And then Fred, he brought up that Ripley uses both masculine and feminine. Yeah, she does. She starts out in the film as a submissive, you know, traumatized, uh, you know, victim of her past experience. And what this film is really about for her personal journey, uh, which represents all of our personal journey, is conquering trauma. You know, the trauma of facing such evil and what you do uh, after that when you have to face it again, you know, and you can't be crippled by it. You know, after you've got out of um, a war, when you go into another war, you know, what what happens? Are you going to... Because a lot of people, after they go through crazy traumatic events, they will put up these barriers in their mind and they'll never like they won't have the courage to do it again. You know, they don't have the willpower to go through that again because it's completely horrific. You know, it's absolutely and crippling. It's, there's a and hardening he, or, or yeah. breaking of the spirit. And that's interesting what Jonathan said too there about um, sometimes soldiers sleep or take power naps. But I thought, mm -hmm. you know, it was interesting. They had Hudson, who's kind of this sort of younger, um, a little bit more, um, emotional and less um, prepared for the heat of battle where you have Hicks, he's kind of the more experienced guy. And it's like, that's why I like that drop scene so much because here Hicks is sleeping through it. He's been through a lot of these. And then yep. they're kind of juxtapositioning that with Gorman, who's never even really been on a drop before. This is his first drop uh, besides simulations. And they're, they're showing right. you that. And the drop is also symbolic of what does that happen to us in life? We get dropped into this madness, right? The same thing that happens to kids when they get dropped into these families that abuse them, right? Yes. This drop symbolizes, like, and it's kind of like there's this level of commitment. If you leave the main ship and you're going to go down to the planet, you know, you got to go through the drop. And it's it's kind of a big symbolic deal. Like, you're you're going in there, you know? This is serious now. And think about what happens to people when they join like the military or they join the police, you know, it's a right. lot like that. And you have to become hardened and you have to lose an aspect of your soul, the soul dire in order to, to, to make that level of commitment. And then once you do, you're owned, you're out there all by yourself. You lose your ship, you lose your walkie talkie. It's over, you know, that's about yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. You nailed it. Absolutely. Um, let me look at my notes real quick because I know I have a few more things I wanted to say about it. Um, I really think that uh, a lot of people overlook the fact that it's a, a matriarchy as well. You can look at it as this matriarchal thing, and I know I brought that up last time. Um, but the idea of the sacred feminine mother fighting the matriarchy, right? And that is something that's really important because an awakened female moves mountains, you know, a truly awakened female can be extremely powerful and we don't see enough awakened females that's why they target females in the world and actually this movie led to a lot of movies taking up the role for more uh, female protagonists because before this movie you see more victim female movies where they don't really do anything you know they're just the the uh, the victim that gets chased down by the serial killer or the monster or whatever and this movie kind of really changed all that where we started to see more uh, females being put brought to the forefront. And actually, it took it to the extreme where now we see things like Wonder Woman and all these other crazy movies that are really unrealistic. And they've taken it so far that it's it's 
you know, done an injustice to this movie, you know, where you have these uh, really fake uh, protagonist female characters that are not really inspiring as a hero archetype or a heroine archetype and uh, compared to compared to Ripley's heroine archetype, you know. But, um, you know, even at another level, I noticed in something you said earlier. Um, yeah, Fred. Sigourney yeah. Weaver, she is the shit. Yeah, she we, is, you know, man. We were all, all three of us were probably in love with her at a certain age. <laughs> but um, right. look at this scene. And, and there's a couple scenes in this movie that really stick out. I didn't get the one I would have really liked where um, Hudson's really kind of like losing it. And, you know, he's just really upset. And then someone points out, Look at this little girl. Oh, it was, it was, it was Ripley. She mm, points out, look yeah. at this little girl. She survived here all alone by herself, you know, for a long time. You know, she didn't have any guns or weapons. And, and also you notice in that scene when Ripley's driving the tank, Newt takes her um, seatbelt off and she goes and hides. She does it her way. It's like she's got this yep. nature-based inherent um, innocence and instinct. Okay, and, and, and I think that's what they're showing us here. And look at this scene when um you know they're they're right now getting prepared right, to fly here. back to the ship and they're getting um what's her name to go grab the um their little ship she starts flying over right but then the alien Come gets her right yeah. you know the alien here she goes god damn it i have and it's interesting too that she's a female well, with kind of a really short hair and in the original movie, the pilot was very similar to Again, like a female, a strong female piloting the ship with this really short hair. Right? Yeah, I was bring up the hair, actually. I have that in my notes. You noticed that too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have the hair symbolism in my notes. That's so cool you brought that up. That's so cool, man, that we're starting to see some of the same things. But what I'm really trying to get at here, let me fast forward a little bit here. Here he goes. Yeah, here's... Let's see this spit flying out of his mouth. But what Newt says is what really inspiring here, right? Right. Yeah, this is a good scene. I guess we're not gonna be leaving now, right? I'm sorry, Newt. You don't have to be sorry. It wasn't your fault. That's it, man. Game yeah, she's over, more man. mature Game than over. uh than all of them. In the Marines. Yep. Even Ripley. And, yep. and more than once in the movie. Like you said with the doll. That's what you said earlier. Yep. better get back because it'll be dark soon and they mostly come at night. Mostly. Mostly. So that, that part, what I thought, you know, I really wanted to show because, you know, she, everybody else is freaking out, you know, in their own yep. way. Hudson is kind of the one that always is the most dramatic, but all of them are going through it. They're like, shit, that was our ride home. And it just blew up. And she's the first one to realize the situation. Look, guys, it's starting to get dark. Yeah. Aliens mostly come out at night. And it's like, that's the innocence. And it's coming from the female voice, too, but also from the child, which is, I think, yeah, I was another say really that. important aspect of the situation. So yeah, like, the child um, brings the, the true wisdom to the table, you know, and she brings balance to the table. So I think that's really important. I'm glad you brought that scene up. Um, I, I always liked her as the act, the actress that played in that too. You know, she did a really good job and they randomly selected her because they were filming in Europe and they couldn't, they, they wanted a, a child with a, an American accent and they couldn't find any. So they had to go to, um, these certain 
schools or something to find uh, uh, her. And then randomly they just came about her, which was really awesome. But I did, I wanted to correct myself earlier. I said that Terminator was uh, James Cameron's first movie. Uh, that was his first like big directorial movie. His first movie was actually Piranha 2 and he made Piranha 2 uh, kind of mimicking Jaws, you know? Uh, um, and then he wrote this script called Mother, which correlates to Alien, actually, because you have Mother being the main AI system on the the spaceship. And um, so that's a big symbolic part of it. And then uh, what do we have in this movie? We have this like dark mother aspect going on. And then we have the authentic mother aspect going on. So he wrapped this script up within the, uh, another script that they gave him to, to make this film, actually. And a lot of the things and a lot of themes from his original script and mother uh, actually play out in this film. So I thought that was kind of interesting that there was a synchronicity between the, the, um, the mother of Alien 1 and then the mother of Aliens as well, and then him writing the script Mother and it being, you know, put out there like that. And he and was really... It's uh, really weird in, in Alien Resurrection where oh god yeah you know talk about the mother there's a lot thing. of christian and yeah there's alien a lot of christian too. Themes. right Whoa. yeah there's a lot of christian themes and and alien three specific. like the mother of the aliens right yeah yep yeah she's impregnated in alien three and then she sacrifices herself and when she sacrifices herself at the end she takes the jesus archetype pose you know the cross, falls, right? falling into yeah, the, the cross pit, right yeah, yeah. So that's really crazy. And then in the next one, Resurrection, she becomes a mother and she's like a clone. And then she like mates with the freaking queen or whatever down in there. And it's it's wild. That one's really oh, yeah, wild. Yeah, there's this you weird know? sexual thing going on in that yeah. scene. She's just like basically making out with the, yeah. with the alien. It's like now she's been impregnated and she's been copied and duplicated, frozen mm -hmm. and unfrozen. It's just like, isn't this all kind of like also foreshadowing the actual things they're trying to do in reality mm -hmm. with cloning people, freezing um, your um, cutting out. What is at the base of your spine and getting your DNA and cloning it and duplicating and starting to convince people it's okay to do that. Oh, we can clone your pet, you know, next thing you oh, know, yeah. we can put a chip in your pet. And then, you know, the tiptoe, what Ike calls, you know, the totalitarian tiptoe, right? They're, they're oh, yeah. getting us closer and closer to be, merged with machines and then in this movie shows with ripley with when when she's with the loader right and she's driving this machine where she's now merged with this machine and that's the only way she can fight this alien and that's like the same trick they're trying to pull on us with the technic technotronic agenda and and the uh, materialistic agenda that the only way we can change things or make things better is with technology and right. it's like weird that this is so embedded in here now the director know all that or is he just sensing it or the writer i mean i don't know exactly how this stuff all comes through i'm not trying to say it's all 100 percent planned some of this stuff is synchromysticism you know some yep. of it just it's going to naturally flow out because it's the reality of the situation we're in we're we're anybody who's aware who's working on art is going to express this recognition and realization of what's happening and what's happening is humans are becoming merged with machines and they're becoming cyborgs. And a lot of people, what's weird, I've noticed this, a lot of people already are and they don't even know it. Like think about people that are on a dialysis machine, for instance, or you have a pacemaker in your, in your body. And you know, a lot of people will justify these things, but I'm really questionable about whether we should be mixing our human 
nature with technology because it's a slippery slope, you know? It is a slippery slippery slope. slope. That's for sure. Um, That's the thing. I've had to struggle with this a lot myself. And it's like, you know, do the benefits outweigh the risk is the is the question there. You know, Um, I personally don't fear technology to that degree. I think what I fear the most is just the human ignorance and human inability to um, to really, you know, understand how to properly use technology because we went so far astray from nature and it's in itself. I think if we truly want to use these things, technology, technology should always mimic nature in itself. You know, it should be a mimicking of nature. And what it should do is it should enhance nature. It's because we're stewarders here. You know, we're here to help steward this realm. You know, we're here to help make this realm even better than what it is. And I'm not saying that it's not perfect because it is perfect, but we're also parts of it, you know, and we have a responsibility to to help each other and to help, uh, you know, do whatever we can to evolve ourselves and to steward the land and steward the universe and steward the energies here and things like that. And we do that through creativity, you know, and we do that through ingenuity. So I don't think that I'm not saying that all technology is bad. That's not where I'm going. But but what I'm saying is depending on how it's being guided or how it's being ruled or used, it it can be extremely dangerous, especially if it's not combined with morality and Mm -hmm. and what's happening in these situations. It's not, it's, it's all one way, you know, um, Fred just said the the xenomorphs are pure unmitigated forces of nature, fearless and flawless, which is what you kind of see in this film. Like I, I have that clip somewhere. I'm not going to bring it up because it'd take too long, but the one in the first movie, when the head gets cut off of, of the synthetic being and they plug him back in to get some information from him and he's talking and drooling and the white come looking stuff's coming out of his mouth and all over his mm-hmm. face. Again, another sexual innuendo. But, but what he says is, is they're amazing. You know, I can't remember exact right. words how he puts it, but he's like, you know, they're inspiring. And that shows up in some of the other movies, too. And like, I, I mean, if you get into um, the newer movies that have come out that sort of explain more of this and, story, yeah. you see, like, it's this pure nature that's been like magnified and grown and and um, perfected. Right. So it's even more perfect than we are. It was even more perfect than the original engineers that that created right. the, the yeah. human in theory, yeah. um, you know, the way, the way that story goes. So, you know, that, that's pretty interesting, but like, I'm not saying we shouldn't use technology because, mm-hmm. you know, technology no, we're using it now. And our ability, our ability that we're given freely, right. That we have to use our hands, to use our mind, combine them together. Even a pencil, even um, a paper is a technology, right. Even the idea of government is a, is a technology. It's a way to rule. Right. Yeah. And so there's nothing inherently wrong with inventing or using our ingenuity. But if it's done without the, the morality and the first principles, it's extremely dangerous yeah. and it can lead us down a path of being owned, ruled and ending up inside of these chambers, you know, where we are just fodder for machines and the machines right. control us instead of us controlling them. <laughs> it's the Terminator world, man. They have them. You know, they got the Terminators out there. Don't worry, <laughs> you know, and um, yeah, I think you said that very well. I think it's really important to distinguish those things. And since we're living in a world that's so dominated by 
you know, the technocratic elites and just everybody's so materialistic. It is important to put emphasis to get us back into nature. So we need to to understand that if we don't understand the the lesser mysteries, the mysteries that are that are the most important, which are, you know, things like, you know, principles, getting back to to principles, to true principles, then you know, we don't have, we don't have the, I don't want to say we don't have the right, but we, we don't have the ability or capability to handle the, uh, the technology that we have properly. You know, we just don't, not yet. The the whole species doesn't, we're not there yet. Now me and you and some other people who understand principles. Yeah. The few, you know, maybe thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that, have principles or whatever in this world. Maybe there's more. I don't know. Maybe that's really uh, shortchanging the how many people are actually principled. But I don't really see that many, honestly. But you know, um, w- we can handle technology, but I don't think a lot of people can. Obviously, um, so it can um, be. Fred re- said, even in their death, they're extremely dangerous. You know, something I don't think we've talked about yet is the acid blood that comes out of the <laughs> aliens when they're wounded. And, you know, like I was talking about with sexual abuse or trauma from people doing evil things, um, it gets worse. Even like he says, even when the alien's dead, even when the evil has been vanquished in theory, it still it still leaves marks. It still leaves damage. You know, like when they killed the alien a couple of times, the, the acid splash on him and it's like keeps burning. You know, it's not right. over yet, you know. And so I, I've been noticing this in my own personal life and the personal life of other people. Like, even if we do a lot of our self work, even if we go through this life, we still get triggered by traumas of the way we've been indoctrinated and grown mm-hmm. in this technological system, in this going away from nature and this destruction of a freedom style of living that even if we start to recognize truth, we still have a lot of trauma to work through. And we still have a lot of scars, you know. So absolutely, sorry, sorry to jump in there when you were talking, but I just got you know that oh, was no, a good comrade and a lot, I wanted to say a lot that. of good things today. You you're bringing up great points, and Doug uh, shared a Doug link in the chat. Yeah, yeah, I know. And he shared a link to that documentary I was talking about, the story of film and Odyssey, which is really oh, good. Okay. He's the one who put me on to it, and it's really really good. You know, I think it's like an eleven part series. Uh, another thing I'd like to bring up is that the aspect of of Sigourney Weaver of Ripley, uh, there's two things I want to bring up. First of all, is her first name is Ellen, right? So if you break that down in green language, it's L N. Okay, so it's in L, and L is God, right? Or the electric energy. So she has the masculine side. So you have L and Mag. So she represents Mag, but the inner L, she has the inner L going on. She has the inner masculine going on, which she manifests, you know? Um and then the other thing is that she ends up what she ends up in that big loader, that big yellow forklift loader machine to fight the alien, right? Yeah, with the pincher claws, you know. And she fights the mother queen on the, on the ship after the the queen alien rips the uh, the cyborg in half, the the android in half. And um, it, it's really crazy if you look into how they did all that stuff because the alien, the the queen is actually two guys in a suit the bodysuit so it's a big puppet and it's two guys and they represent you know they're controlling the four arms and stuff and the way that they set it up was just with trash bags and a couple like like a bunch of like trash bags and a few other things and it was really wild if you look but, into the you know right that. there too there's that 
so many parallels in both movies. Like I said, both of them had that in the beginning, the same scenes. Both of them had the machine that's a um, that can run without the people. And then both of them also had the cyborg getting its its head cut off or yep. cut in half, right? Cut in half, it's yeah, yeah. Like they keep bringing up these same things. And that's always, when you look into anything about alchemy, when you see something like that, somebody's trying to make you think about something, right? Right. They didn't just do that by accident. He's trying to, he's pointing out the theme here. Like he's cutting in half the artificial being, right? Yep. Or cutting its head off, you know? Yep. It's, it's almost it's like nature. Symbol, like right? like uh, Fred said that they're kind of, if you look at it allegorically as well, you could look at the aliens as an aspect of nature because they're just instinctively doing their things. You could look at it es exoterically that way. And then it's nature reclaiming itself you know it's nature it's natural law you can look at the aliens as natural law and the consequences of natural law you know it's like godzilla godzilla kind of represents the consequences of us going too far astray from morality you know and every time uh, you screw up too bad this big monster yeah. comes out of the sea and starts blowing yeah, fire yeah, on everybody again the fire that which is part of alchemy you have to burn it down to nothing down to ashes Right. start over again and, that, and that the resurrection the thing pops in right you, ash was the original uh, ash that was the guy you're right damn his name ash okay yep. and yep. uh but what i wanted to say about the forklift thing is that you know that's the proper use of technology there you know and then in avatar you see it being used improperly by the corporate entities that are trying to take out the natives so they have these big machine mechanisms that are coming in and, you know, trying to destroy the, uh, I can't remember what they're called, but the, the blue. Wholesale you know. destruction of nature. And then even the yeah. one tree, which is like, one they're tree, communicating yep. with the one tree, you know, here I am with my tree of life. I know. That's exactly what I'm symbolizing. That's exactly what the symbology is in the movie, that we're all connected, right? Because they could connect to that tree and it would give them yep. knowledge. It would, they could communicate with each other. And that's exactly what they wanted to bring the machines in to destroy because they want to cut the roots that we yep. have to each other, cut the roots we have to our spirit and cut the roots we have to all understanding. So which is, you know, the umbilical cord to natural right. law. And that's exactly the way we've been fragmented and cut down with this trauma and, and all these um, machine type ways of thinking that we right. can make laws and and mechanically tell each other what to do in every situation without actually thinking of it and observing the situation in its own merit. That's right. And I just kind of want to reemphasize the Freemasonic uh, um, symbolism here because this whole movie to me represents the middle chamber because it's about the dark aspects. You have to go within yourself. You got to go through the heart of darkness to find the light, you know, and that's what our protagonist does in this movie is that she goes through the heart of darkness. She con conquers her fear and she starts to uh, manifest love, you know, the love frequency by righteous aggression and righteous indignation, right? And she, and she uses anger properly and she becomes an awakened being. And then she, you know, saves the, the progeny because this is about protecting progeny as well. She's protecting progeny, the child. You know, the, well, the future of all humanity. If this right. bug gets back to Earth, she knows it, it can just take over the whole planet. And so planet. she's making this sacrifice in the first movie, just like you said with the Jesus in, in the third one. Um, but in the even in the first one, she's making a bit of a sacrifice. She says, I need to take care of this thing out here right now. And in the second one, they kind of have to make that same decision where 
if they leave on the escape pod from the main ship, they really don't know if they can ever get back to Earth. We're just going to be floating in space. They kind of realize this, but she's like, you know, we got to take care of this thing. We got to yeah. destroy it. And it's like, so it's even even at the cost of my own life, I'm going to make sure it doesn't get down there and, and take out the next generation of people or the whole planet by all that means, besides just protecting Newt, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it is. And that's kind of what I mean by progeny, too, is just, you know, all of the innocent creatures that are going to be harmed by this evil. And if we just, you know, add the image of uh, government over top of the alien here and, and see that that's how that's how government works is just uh, like this alien creature works. You know, that's exactly what it does. It's its highest ambition is to make sure that it's self survives. That's what its ambition is, is survival, no matter what, you know? So no matter what it has to do, no matter how ruthless, how cruel, how cold, you know, it's going to make sure that it continues to survive by impregnating these, you know, dogmatic ideologies into other beings. And, uh, yeah, so I think that's Did I notice really... last time the word alien is a lie in? Right, a lie in. Yeah, you brought a that up. I think I did. Yeah. Yeah, you did, and it was really good. How that much one, more I, do you? Um, go ahead. Oh, I didn't catch that one. I'll look over my notes real quick. I think we pretty much covered everything. How much, that yeah, I, I was had. curious how much more notes you had because I have one more clip I'd like to play, and um, you know, we we can chat more longer if you want. Um, but I was thinking, you know, maybe we close it up in the next five yeah. ten minutes here. Yeah, unless you've got a lot more to talk about, in which I'll keep going. You know, because I love the talk. You know, it's just super stimulating. I can tell everybody in the chat's enjoying it too. Right, right. I know. A lot of good comments. And like Fred was just saying about these eggs. I, I mean, you mentioned a lot about the eggs last time and the way they open yeah. and the way they're all sticky. Again, with the sticky stuff, that's kind of a sexual connotation. Mm. And the eggs are dormant. And that's kind of what Fred was alluding to there, that the eggs are, are just waiting for the moment. It's kind of like evil. Like if we don't mess with it, you know, if we don't steal you know, nothing really shitty has to happen, but it's right. always there. It's always there under the surface, you know, and as soon as someone gets in there and starts poking around and, you know, it's like the first person that decides, hey, I'm going to get one up on my neighbor by telling this lie and telling them there's no water so I can have all the water in myself. You know, that's what opens the door. The egg opens and here comes the evil. And then from right. there, it's just going to repeat and it's going to, you know, do more and more damage. So I um, will say uh, one thing here. Let me. uh let me find it. I know it's in here. You were here, talking I'll play about this. I'll play this last clip and then I'll give you a minute to um, put that together. Okay, I got it. Oh, you want to say that first? No, go ahead. Okay, I'm going to make this big screen. I like this clip a lot. Turn up. This is Hudson's last scene, right? What do you mean they cut the yep. power? Yep. How could they cut the power, man? They're animals. I want you two with yeah. crackers. Yeah. Motherfucker! Come on! Come on! Get it, baby! Come on! Get off me! Come on! Come on! Come on, you bastard! Come on, you two! Oh, you want some of this? Fuck you! <laughs> Fuck you! What yeah, do you mean they cut the power? That's pretty important. What do you mean? They're animals. What do you mean they cut the power? Right? Yeah. So these animals are are um, outsmarting the humans. They they had set up this perimeter. They set up the automatic machine gun. They set yep. all the doors. And somehow they didn't realize that aliens could get right, right above them in the little crawl space. And not only that, but aliens cut the power. 
how the hell the aliens cut the power? They're animals. You know, it's like, again, right. this juxtaposition between, you know, people try to say we're animals, that there's nothing different between humans and animals. That's the same kind of psychology of people that think that, oh, we're going to change the world with technology. You know, and he was supposed to be the one. He was going around the ship saying, look, we got guns. We got pulse rifles. We got grenades. We got knives. But then he right, gets right. destroyed. Yep. And in the moment of trauma, he's just losing his shit. He's emotionally just, again, he's the symbol of somebody who's been so traumatized that he's lost his emotional balance over and over in the movie. And the little girl can do better than Hudson, you know, and eventually yep. you see him go out in his glorious finale, <laughs> which right. I love that scene. But Yeah, yeah it is a great good. actor. And I love the cinematography there too, because they use the red hue to represent the uh, the, oh, the yeah. bloodshed that's going on there, and it gives you that tension that you need because it's really dark and you can't really see the aliens coming in, you know, because they the, cutting the power is a great way of being able to hide the flaws of the alien costumes because in this movie they had to bring up like they had to make all kinds of alien puppets, whereas the first movie they only had to make one, you know. This one, they had to make tons of them. And and the more that you can cover that up in cinema, the easier it is to uh, to be able to make these scenes look more gruesome and more realistic and really get through to your subconscious and really bring out those emotions from you, you know? But we see this a lot in movies. We see that red hue being used a lot to bring out tension and to bring out that aggression and that terror, you know, to bring that terror out of us. So cinema ex expression is really interesting. I wanted to say the guy who replaced uh, Michael Bean, I had brought that up earlier, which is uh, James Ramar. And he was actually in the Warriors movie. Um, uh, Doug actually um, um, pointed that out. I don't know if you've ever seen the Warriors, but he was in the Warriors, which was a really, really good movie. And then you brought up the hair stuff. And I wanted to mention uh, the notes that I have here. The, the haircuts symbolize the masculine and the feminine. Long hair represents the feminine energy and the short hair represents the masculine, obviously. But if you look at Ripley's hair, it's um, it's halfway. It's in between. Mm. You know, it's not completely buzz cut and it's not completely long. So it represents the balance of the two that she has going on. You know, and then if you look at Newt, she has the long hair. You know, she has the longer blondish hair. She's very pure. She's a pure. Yeah. Purity and innocence. Yeah, absolutely. So there's great symbolism throughout this, and you know James Cameron did an amazing job. You know he it's took all over very thoughtful. You know it's yeah. so thought out. And then the more I watch it, the more I see just like wow, he put all these little details. Like I said, just one little screen pan, and you see two or three things that were purposefully put into that um, that scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll bring up one more thing here, which is. And this is more to do with cinema expression and just the way that our psychology understands these things. It's like techniques that that he used were like cutting the sound out at the end. He cut the sound out when she faced the the queen. And what it did was give a more authentic thrill for the the viewer. You know, it it, br it brings out more expression of our own emotions and our own terror when you have like no sound after you've had a lot of sound going on. So it's a shock to our system. It's a shock to to our minds and to our emotions. And then it starts to build up. And he uses sound to emphasize certain things, you know. And what I mean by that is the musical score. He uses the musical score very precisely. And then it happens again when she's fighting the uh, the queen on the ship. And she's about to throw the, the, the queen down into the airlock and, and vent the, the uh, queen out where the sound just cuts out and all you can hear is the hiss of the alien, you know, 
just like down in the caverns or the the hive where you hear all the hissing of the steam uh from the uh the the mechanized machines you know going on which is mimicking the hiss of the aliens so it's meant to bring out this uh this terror from us because we feel like the aliens are anywhere and they're like they're like chameleons you know they blend into the whole hive so you don't even know where they're at so they have this chameleon design that hr giger kind of you know brought up which i brought up in the first part of this um you know in part one that we did to me that that really symbolizes too that this evil stuff we're talking about like i spent a lot of time on my podcast trying to define evil for people in a way that can be understood it's confused it's yeah. totally like evil in our society is totally disguised like you're saying in the walls that's right because like the very structures that we trust our courts our schools right our, our justice system they're our, our political system inside of all these things are it's embedded with evil. It is evil because it's all based on control of people through coercion and stealing. And so this right. is the perfect symbol is this, this natural kind of supposedly nature thing, but it's got this weird mechanical aspect to it because it's been engineered and, and it's like evil all around you. You never know where it's going to pop out and you can't even see it. You can't even tell you're inside of the evil because That's it just right. looks like the walls, right? And then the other thing I would say is that you you can only know the uh, the extent of good if you can understand the evil from within yourself, you know, because we all have these seeds of evil within us. So we have to be able to understand the potential that every being has, which is that they can all become a psychopath. They can all become a sociopath. They can all commit the same acts of evil, evil that any other being can as a human being. You know, none of us want to admit that because we all want to pretend that we're all so perfect. But you get put into a certain situation and you watch a really good soul go from, you know, a moral being. And then the next thing you know, they flip and then they're doing the most evil deeds. So it's really easy to slip into that, you know. So we all have the potential to commit evil deeds. And the better that you know this, the better you know yourself, the less likely that those things will manifest. And like, you know, um, Mark Passio has pointed out with, you know, um, the inner psychopath, there's also this part of ourself that we can learn to use as a tool in a situation of emergency, like where, you know, Hudson's going crazy and like, fuck you, fuck you too. Ah! He's losing it and he's not able to be self-aware where we can use that kind of inner psychopathic part of ourself that can shut off all the emotions and, and the emotional reactions in order to deal with a situation that's happening in the moment like if you've trained you know in self-defense and then the one moment comes where someone's about to hurt a child or someone innocent's about to get hurt take your life and then you shut off your emotions and you turn into the the kind of psychopathic part of yourself that's like i don't care about emotions right now right now it's about survival and you're able right. to do what needs to be done it's just like we were talking about the technology it's not evil in and of itself it's evil because of the way it's employed you know, you don't want to be psychopathic most of the time at all. That's for that one situation when you're surrounded with evil and you have to act. And you, right. it's not the time for emotions. It's the time for action, you know? Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. I think that's where we should end it, man. I think we got Fred jumping off. That, that was a really good show. This is this has been a good one. I'm yeah. glad we got to 
do this. Fantastic, this is man. And, Excellent, and, um, man. I think it was uh, good we waited because we just had more ideas and more stuff to talk about. Right. Um, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> thanks so much, Brandon, for making this such a great show. Um, I think I'll, I'll close us out with one last clip that it's something we kind of talked about from the first Alien movie. I'll play that and then and then do the outro. But um, anything you want to say before before we close up? Mm, no, man. Just thanking you for, uh, you know, being patient with the fluctuation of the schedule. And, you know, I mean, this has just been an excellent show. And, and I hope that I can come back on and do some more content with you in the future, man. Oh, absolutely. We'll work together more in the future. We're we're um, we're teammates and brothers for the same battle. We're we're warriors. You know, we're soldiers. We're fighting this battle for truth and for freedom. And I don't think either of us is going to be given up. No way. The last, you know, we better twenty not. aliens around us. I'm still going to be fighting. Pulling each other's, pulling each other, you know, kind of like Ripley does. She grabs Hicks and carries him out, you know, like you're not getting stuck here, motherfucker. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. To our last breath. Yeah. You know, even beyond. Yeah. I appreciate it much, Martin. Brandon. Um, Brandon Martin. Check out his website, seedtruth.com. And um, he's on the One Great Work Network. Check mm -hmm. him out there. And um, he's all over the place on, on, uh, um, other podcasts and yeah, yeah the cubby hole podcast and a lot of interviews as well so but it's all yeah, on com. so let's see this clip man what you got all right, last clip and then we'll we'll cut out here if you want to make a comment after i, I get it because this is a good one too this is one i was talking about Can you hear me? The corporate agenda. Yeah. Damn company. What about Damn company. It's gotta be a way of trying. How? How do we do it? Bullshit. You admire it. <laughs> you admire it, right? Yeah. Yes, like people who worship government, man. Exactly. 
kind of quiet and hard to sit, but he said, you have my sympathies. Yep. That's pretty much it. And then he basically says, you know, they have no chance of survival. So, yep. you know, it's it's what they want us to think that, you know, that we can't survive, that we can't, that evil can't be defeated. And that's what people think, that there's, there is no way to end evil, but there is. All we have to do is stop doing evil things. You know? Right, right. Actually, it's really, really that easy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it starts on the individual level, you know? Absolutely. So. That's that's what it takes is individualization and individual awakening and, uh, you know, dedicating yourself to your principles and becoming very disciplined and using some woo way too. you know, you got to use the woo way. Right. You know what that is. I heard you. Talk. What do you mean? What's the woo way? It's a uh, it's a Chinese kind of art style. It's called it's it means the path. And it's kind of what Bruce Lee talked about, which was like being like water, you know, you know, right. you can be gentle as a current. But if that current gets strong enough, you know, it can hit like a rock or it can erode things over a long period of time. So you have to be like water, you know, so we have to be able to fit and be flexible, but also be hard, you know, and be able to fight and have a force uh, that people can't reckon with, you know, so it has to be both. We have to have a balance between it. So it's called Wu Wei. I thought you mentioned it. Maybe somebody else mentioned it on one of the other podcasts. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. And, you know, it's like that, that's ultimately what we're getting at here, folks, is that it's up to each of us to deal with our own internal struggles and continue to be a better person every day and work towards doing what's right and um, working towards, you know, the survival of humanity and the survival of our race, because that's really what shit's coming down to here, you know, and that's going to be us getting in alignment with first principles, getting in alignment with um, good you know, the generative principle and um, applying our time and energy towards growing things and and um, protecting life and protecting innocence and really starting to not accept this technological agenda to destroy our um, our natural connection, you know. So. Absolutely. Well said. All right, Brandon, much appreciated. Let's actually end this awesome show and, um, and uh, we'll be in touch. And thank All you right. folks for coming and listening and everyone who commented. Much appreciated. I'll be back next Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern with Andy. All right, Brandon. See you around, brother. Yep. Later, brother. Thank you.